Psalm 34, and we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses this evening. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He delivers them. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I love watching live sports. And I normally will watch live sport on television. But on the rare occasions when I get to go in person, I am usually struck by two things attending in person. First of all, that your ability to see the details of the match is vastly reduced by going in person. I always seem to come home with eye strain, and it feels like, well, if I'm just coming for what I can see, I feel like I have been shortchanged. However, the second thing that strikes me when I go in person is that your ability to experience the atmosphere of the occasion is so much massively more, isn't it? Because there are things that you can experience there in person that even the greatest home sound system cannot reproduce. And of course, one of the keys to that atmosphere is the sound of people singing. Now, singing at sports matches is usually a competitive thing, isn't it? You have one set of fans who sing for their team, and they do that to try and cheer their team on, and they also do that to try and drown out the other side who are shouting for their team. But people love to sing, don't they? There's something special about singing. And the psalm that Oliver read earlier starts with singing. The author, David, declares at the start his intention to praise God at all times. We heard in verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. But unlike sporting events, this isn't competitive singing, where one side is trying to drown out the other. Because this psalm is an invitation from David to join him in collective singing. David invites us to join him in praising God when he says, verse 3, glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. It's an invitation to collective singing, and as a church, we love to sing. Now, I have the privilege uh, of facing a congregation, and one of the things I can say is that we always sing well as a church, but there is always something extra special about the singing on an occasion like this at a baptism service. It's certainly louder on occasions like this, but it also comes with a deeper sense of joy as we hear one another sing. And that is because we have gathered here this evening to praise God for a wonderful reason, 
for his work of salvation in a person's life. And in that way, our reason for joyful singing this evening is the same reason that David gives for why we should join him in joyful praise. He says, join me in praising God because God has saved me. And the wonderful thing about this psalm is that this psalm is David's personal testimony. It's his story of how God rescued and saved him. David describes that story in terms of a journey. He does it twice, once in verse 4 and once in verse 6. Just follow the journey with me. He says, verse 4, I sought the Lord, God answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And then down in verse 6, he repeats the same three steps. This poor man called, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now, why did David write that? Well, there were two reasons David wrote that. One was for a particular experience in his life, and one was to tell us of how God had saved him for eternity. Let's think about the experience in David's life. First of all, many of the Psalms have a background, and when David wrote these words in this Psalm, he had known God's rescue from great danger. David's enemy was Saul, and Saul wanted to kill David. And in order to get away from Saul, David had run to the place where he thought he would be safe because he'd run to the place of Saul's enemies. It was a place called Gath, which would have been a great place to hide from Saul had Gath not also been the place of David's enemies too. He was even known for killing many of the people who came from that very area in battle. Now, we don't know why he went there. Perhaps he thought he could remain undercover and perhaps just keep his head down, but his plan didn't work to hide there from Saul. David was spotted. He was brought before the leader of his enemies, and he was in great danger. And so you might say that he went from the frying pan of Saul's pursuit into the fire of his enemies in Gath. And David finds himself in a situation, so all he can do is call out to God for rescue and to pretend that he is insane in the hope that they will take pity on him and let him go. Now, it's not a great plan, but it's all he can do. But amazingly, God answers David's prayer. His plan works. They let him go, and David is rescued. But as David looks back upon that rescue event, he says, God, rescue me there. But there is an even greater rescue that's behind David's words here in this psalm. Because that rescue in that specific situation in Gath was a picture of God's salvation of David in eternity. Now, we know that because of what David says in verse 5. He says there, those who look on him, the Lord, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So he speaks there of being able to look upon the Lord without any guilt or shame. Now, if we remember who God is... That's a remarkable thing for anyone to be able to say. God is holy. God is perfect. And sinful, imperfect people like us will always experience guilt and shame when we think about God. Because the brightness of God's purity, well, it exposes a darkness of our own hearts. The wrong things that are there that we don't want anyone else to see. As we think upon God, we know that they are there. But that doesn't seem to trouble David in verse 5. 
he speaks of confidence before God. How can that be? Well, it's not because of anything good in David. In other Psalms, David speaks openly of the wrong things that he has done in his life. So he's not a perfect man coming before God. He knows he has done wrong. The only way that anyone can know God without guilt, coming before him with confidence, is because God has done something for us about our sin. That means that we don't need to come before God with guilt and fear, but rather we can come with confidence. And when David spoke of God's delivering him in Gath, he was pointing forward to an even greater rescue. That rescue is God's great rescue from the enemy of sin. David is looking forward to the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross where Jesus would come and live and die to take away our sin, bearing our guilt and shame so that we can be cleansed, so that we can come before God, look upon God, and not feel shame or guilt because we come forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is David's story. That's David's testimony. And that's the story of every Christian. For a number of years, I had the privilege of visiting a retired pastor in Leeds called Errol. Now, Errol was an energetic man who lived a very full life. And then in his mid-80s, he had a debilitating stroke. It left him with only a little movement in his upper body and in one arm. And I'd go and see Errol most weeks in the care home. And I'd say, Errol, what would you like me to read to you from the Bible today? And he would always say, Psalm 34. And as we read through the psalm, we get to verse 6. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. And he would look at me and he would say, Matthew, that's me. That's me. I am this poor man because I'm a sinner. I called out to God and in his mercy he heard me. He rescued me from all my troubles when he rescued me from my sin. And you know, when Errol said that, he always had a smile on his face. In all the sadness of what he's experienced, he knew something, a source of joy, because he knew that he was right with God. And that made him smile. In a little while, we're going to hear Anna's testimony too. The details will be different, but the main parts of the journey will be the same as David's and the same as Errol's. And that's why we are here this evening. We are here to hear that story and to join Anna in praising God for all that he has done in her life. And that's the first great invitation in this psalm, a call to join together in thanking God for what God has done in Anna's life. But then there's a second great invitation here in the psalm, and it's there in verses 8 to 10. It's wonderful that we're here to support and to celebrate with Anna, but God calls us here in this psalm to go beyond that. He calls us to know that same joy and delight as well, because there in verse 8 we are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good, to know the blessing that comes from taking refuge in him. And David uses a wonderful picture to speak of the great blessing of knowing God and the strength that comes from knowing God. David was an outdoors person. He loved to use stories from outdoor life. And he reminds us about the lions that roamed in the hills of his homeland in verse 10. Now, we know that lions have great strength and independence. They're the top of the food chain. 
But even apex predators find themselves hungry and weak because they run out of food. But if you seek the Lord, if you follow that same journey that David laid out in verses 4 and 6, then you will find, God says, that he answers and delivers and that he rescues all who look to Christ by faith so that those who know God through Jesus Christ lack no good thing. That's a wonderful promise. You know, at the start of this week, I was at a, a conference in the great city or, or town, perhaps of Blackpool. Now, it was my first time in Blackpool. And uh, when I went to look at the seafront and to see the famous illuminations, I was struck by just how many different things there were there on the seafront vying for people's time and money when they're in Blackpool. There was an amusement arcade after amusement arcade. There was a sea life center, Madame Two Swords, a water park, the Pleasure Beach theme park, and no less than three piers full of rides and attractions. And they had huge signs there on the front. And what they were saying on all those signs essentially was this. Look at this. This is good. Don't miss out. Come on in. Now, friends in the church were trying to encourage me all week to go on the Big Dipper. And some will find joy in the Big Dipper. Some will find joy shooting down a water slide. But if I can use another seaside illustration, they are but a drop in the sea compared to the joy of knowing the God of heaven. Friends, God says those who know him lack no good thing. And all that the joys that this world can offer cannot be compared. They cannot be compared to the peace that comes from knowing that in Christ you are forgiven of your sin. And so you can look upon God and you can know him without fear, without shame, without guilt, because you're forgiven. And so in this psalm we are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. When my boys were growing up, one of the joys that accompanied the challenge of weaning them onto solids was a chance to see their reaction to different foods for the first time. Now, I didn't get to share in all of those moments, but there was one food experience moment that I never wanted to miss. It was the first time they tasted ice cream. Now, a melted, sloppy mixture, which you have to do, don't you, when you're giving your children food for the first time, the melted, sloppy mixture of ice cream doesn't look very appealing, does it? And they weren't keen to try it for the first time. But when they did, you got to see that initial shock as the cold mixture of ice cream temporarily froze their taste buds. But then their expression changed from shock to joy as the sugar and the vanilla registered on their tongues. And they realized just how good ice cream was. But they only got to know the goodness of it when they ate it. And friends, in a similar way, it's the same with knowing God. I've tried this evening to explain something of the goodness of knowing this God this evening. 
And I trust that hearing Anna's testimony will help you too. But to really know it, you have to experience it. You have to taste it, and you have to see. And when you do, you know that the Lord is good. And friends, that's the second invitation. It's one for us all here this evening. We're invited to come and share in Anna's joy, in rejoicing in what God has done for her, but also share in that joy personally, in knowing this same God through Christ and by faith. So will you, like David, like Anna, like Errol, recognize your great need? Because we're all sinners. Will you call out to God? Because where else can you go? And will you look to Christ by faith for deliverance so that you can know all the good things that come from knowing God?